0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Joe Puzz, PMO Joe. And for the next hour, we'll be talking project management with our special guests. We're also very fortunate to have some great sponsors for our show, uh, PM Master Prep. We're very excited to have Scott and his team supporting our show and everything they do to help us out. They offer great solutions for preparing for the PMP exam. And let's take a moment to hear from Scott.
0: If you're studying for the PMP exam, how excited are you to memorize the 756 pages of the PMBOK? You see, when I was studying, I realized that cramming facts in my head wasn't only not going to help me pass, but it wasn't going to make me a better project manager. So I abandoned what the experts told me and I created a method that delivered an above target score without memorizing a thing. You heard me memorizing nothing. The power of my method is in three simple changes that help you make and cement all the connections you need to ace the exam's situational questions. I've distilled my method into a book e-course simulator and training class that transforms how you or your team learn PMP. My name is Scott Payne, and I want you to be successful in the PMP exam. Go to pmmasterprep.com and learn how my PMP training method works. And use the code PMOJOE to receive 20% off every product that will make you battle ready for the PMP exam.
1: It's so great to have Scott and the PM Master Prep team on board with us. And, man, what a fantastic offer they're offering up to our listeners. 20% off. Uh, visit pmmasterprep.com and use code uh, promo code Joe. Also, of course, the PMO Squad, who they are home of the Purpose Driven PMO. Purpose Driven PMO empowers people to deliver results. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all the services they offer. Before we get into the show, just want to touch on something within the PMO community that should be capturing everybody's attention. The PMO Global Awards are ongoing, as hopefully everyone is aware, and they have reached the semi-final round, which is very exciting. As a judge for this competition... It's been a great experience for me to get all of the -the behind-the-scenes details on how all of these PMOs are operating. And uh, the final eight teams remaining out of Africa, it's Angola versus South Africa. Representing the Americas, we're down to Brazil versus Peru. In the Asia-Pacific bracket, it's Bahrain versus Saudi Arabia. And out of Europe, it's Slovenia versus Poland. So one of those eight countries will be winning the 2019 PMO Global Awards PMO of the Year. So very exciting. If you go out to pmoawards.org, you can track the competition there and see who takes home the top prize. So I'm very excited today to have with us Kim Curtis and Echo Wolf. So great to have them here with us. Thank you both for joining me. Thank
2: you. Great to be here.
1: (laughs) Kim, if you could uh, please share a bit about yourself with our listeners and uh, introduce yourself
3: to everyone who's listening in. Surely. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, my name's Kim Curtis. I'm highly active on LinkedIn. I've been a project manager for somewhere upwards of 34 years, but I'm not actually counting anymore. I've held a lot of different positions, um, but one of the things that I've really concentrated on for the last probably about 10 years is an effective PM um, PMO framework that drives performance and improvement. So it's kind of been a, a, a little goal of mine to send out as much improvement as I can throughout the PM world.
1: Well, it's, it's great to have you with us. And also, Kim is a mentor in the VPMMA, the Veteran Project Management Mentoring Alliance. So thank you for the time that you're putting in as a mentor for that as well, Kim. I appreciate that.
3: Thank you. It's a great program.
1: And Echo, uh, so glad to have you with us as well. If you could inter- take a few moments here to introduce yourself to the audience.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, so, I have been in project management for over eight years. And originally, I think I always knew I wanted to be a project manager. I definitely wasn't an accidental project manager, everything was very intentional. And through my career, I started working at a small business, and eventually that led to a lot of other roles that really got my feet wet in project management. And from there, I just continued to invest in my career and have been enjoying the journey along the way. and it's taken me into a lot of different roles in as a senior project manager as well as starting my own, business focusing more on PM training and a little bit of the project management services. So it's been a great ride and I look forward to all the different work that I'll be doing within the industry.
1: That's great. Thank you so much. And of course, we introduced, we're collaborating on a few top secret things that we can't share yet, but hopefully soon the marketplace will uh, see some of the collaboration that we're working on. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So let's talk project management. Let's dig in a little bit, uh, Kim. You had mentioned uh, during your introduction there a little bit over the past decade or so, you've been focusing on PM operations, and you right. have something that really intrigues me. Uh, you're calling it PM ops. That's right.
3: Can you show? Um, that? And that's exactly what what it is. What you just said is operationalizing a PMO. Um, <clears throat> It takes the best of both worlds of application management, strategic planning, CMMI, and management by objectives, and combines all of those things to really drive performance in your PMO, deliver projects better, faster, less expensive, wherever possible. Um, So that's what it is. Uh, It's a framework that's loose and it has a light gate, uh, stage gate review, but um, managing certain key aspects of different projects Performance indicators really drives the performance uh, home. So it really helps PM, um, PMO, PM offices really try to get uh, a handle on uh, more than just dotting the, dotting the I's and crossing the T's for artifacts, but really driving the PMs to uh, progressively improve. You
1: know, and if I think we right, very popular out there in, in the world to DevOps, right, is a, a common term. I'm assuming this is kind of a play on words with PMOps, and is there a a comparison or similarities with DevOps?
3: Um, Well, it's operationalizing PMs, so they're not just managing a collection of projects. They're really involved in the strategic planning behind each application or business line that they support. So, yes, it, it is a lot like DevOps.
1: There's reasons why PMOs fail, right? And, oh,
3: absolutely.
1: And how does that within the the PM experience you have, right? Thirty four years, it's fantastic to have somebody with that breadth of experience with us on the show. So through your time, how do you how you seen why they fail and, and how do we work to try to correct those?
3: Yeah, and you know, it's pretty not not commonly known, but the average life cycle of a, a PMO is only about three years. Um, after about three years, people tend to stop following the methodology. They complain about it, claim it doesn't work. Um, and so management usually gives up and either stops the PM office, the project management office itself, and um, basically reverts back to a you know, wild, wild west type of project management. So that's not widely known. So really, I think the primary thing that I see when when project management offices fail is that they, have a, they don't have a clear set of objectives, either for long-term or short-term goals. Sure, it's great to have a solid project management team that knows how to manage projects, but if you don't really celebrate those real solid wins, then I think they get stagnant. And that's where um, the lack of enthusiasm and accountability happens with the framework and following the foundational uh, required artifacts for the, for the PMO Uh, guidelines. You know, so that's kind of where I think I see uh, the most failures is just not having a clear set of objectives. I also have to say that I've been surprised at the number of PMO offices that were stood up that actually didn't even have a charter. And I always comparatively say, how could you run a project without a charter, let alone create a PMO? So we really need to understand what, what are the objectives. A lot of them say, you know, to support ABC company by implementing a project management culture and methodology that delivers technology and solutions on time and within budget and expected results. But really, that's a very vague set of of requirements. I find it you know, much more advantageous to set a good set of key performance indicators that you look at for every single project you do and then widely advertise that. And I think that totally changes the dynamic of performance
1: improvement yeah when in echo when you introduced yourself you had kind of said hey you're not the accidental project manager and and so many PMOs as Kim was alluding to have project managers who are accidental project managers they come into it and she's you know 34 years experience you had mentioned eight years experience so you're not exactly a junior PM anymore but you're on the the lower end of experience of course how do you fit into a PMO mindset As somebody that's coming in, who's who's your whole career, you've wanted to be a project manager.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I have never worked in an organization that had a PMO. um, And I'm not sure how common that is. But I have worked for organizations who have chose to start and failed very quickly. Never even really stood up a PMO. They just began to start the initiative to get it going and then just stopped for whatever reason. And I see value in it. And I've just never, I would like to see and work for an organization that has something to see what that would look like for me as a project manager, different from just a manager or a director leading a team and trying to put um, standards in place, but not really having that's come from the top down.
1: So let's, I mean, we've had several guests who've, who've shared with us their career path, right, their journey into project management, and many of them have started out as accidental project managers. And I think within our industry, that's that's fairly common. So can you elaborate a little bit more about your story and your journey as to how you started a career in project management?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, back in high school, taking it back a little bit, I had a representative from DeVry University come in and they had us take a little quiz to see what we should be when we grow up based on what we're good at. And I knew I wanted to go into business. I wasn't sure what specific aspect I wanted to do. I was working for a family business, taking on some leadership. Um, It was a small office and I got to do some of that work. So I liked the environment, but, and I knew I had strengths towards uh, leadership and planning. I was hyper-organized. And so when The representative came in and project management was my result. It started to make a little bit of sense, and I knew it was something that I wanted to look into. And so, through my journey in undergrad and uh, postgrad, I focused on project management and I sought out roles that could really refine those skills. And I think a lot of times, what I hear um, from those in the industry say, you know, a lot of these roles to become a project manager you need a couple years of experience. And when you're fresh out of college, you know, you may have no experience. And so really, for me, my journey was taking different steps to get experience in different roles where I refined my communication skills. I refined my leadership and planning and my risk management so I could really talk about those skills and they were transferable into a role. So then when I did get that title, you know, I was really a project manager. And so it was a combination of not just having the educational background, but really getting experience as a practitioner, project management title or not, um, to really have the skill set that I could use to, um, I guess, jumpstart my career.
1: And Kim, I'm curious to your thoughts on that when we're looking at more seasoned project managers and PMO leaders and we hear there's somebody like Echo who's just known, right? She's just worked her way towards that. How? What's the best way we can utilize project managers with that sort of mindset when we're executing and leading a PMO?
3: Well, what I'd like to try to do is align um, Echo, for example, with a business line that she has an interest in, in my organization, such as maybe that's finance. Maybe she likes the uh, the financial application type uh, projects, um, <clears throat> getting her involved in that strategic planning at the level of the application manager to really kind of take some of that pressure off the application manager, because let's face it in development and application managers got a ton of things to, uh, organize. And he has to deal with the, you know, his staff, his, his purchases, his budget, all of the other stuff. So setting aside time to sit down and really look at a five-year roadmap for an application isn't always something that they have the ability to do, and it's a really good strength that I think someone like Echo could help them with. Um, and so that be kind of comes the synergy and the application team is having that project manager develop some subject matter expertise to help the team really organize the planning section of it and kind of frees up um, the team from the stress and pressure of, you know, doing all of that, that planning type of uh, work in advance. Um, so I think that would, she would be a great asset to a team like that. And, and especially when I heard hyper-organizational skills, that kind of made me very excited because that, those are the common things within project managers that I find are the strengths of the skill set.
2: That's awesome. So how does that differ from uh, somebody who comes in that is an accidental project manager? Maybe they play a role in a different Area in the organization, and they end up on your team, and maybe they have some of those skill sets. Is there a different path that you take them down than somebody who has intentional experience as a project manager?
3: Uh, not really, and I think that's a common mistake made in PMOs. I think a lot of times uh, the assumption is that any project manager, if they're a good project manager, should be able to do any project, and I, I don't find that to be a hundred percent accurate. I would say it's I I would rather have a a project manager that has some internal knowledge of the application that they're going to be managing a project for because it's a more successful outcome almost 90% of the time. So I think inherently, whether you're an accidental project manager or one that was set to be um, a project manager from the get-go, um, I think it's a matter of honing those skills with a given team and learning the team's weaknesses and strengths and getting out in front of that team when they need you to. That really drives performance improvement.
1: And Kim, you mentioned skills that are important for a project manager to have, right? Echo, would, what's your perspective on that, right? What are those skills? I mean, we hear... We've had several guests who've talked about all different skills, right? But each individual brings to them a unique perspective. So I'm interested to hear what you think about those skills, right? What is really important?
2: Yeah, I always say the people skills. You know, as a project manager, I think it comes down to being an art and a science. And I think the science is something that you can learn through education, through certifications. Um, And it's important to know, and you can be successful uh, on paper leading a project based on, you know, coming up with a great schedule and all those different things. But I think being able to build and establish trust and relationships with the stakeholders and the project team, I think that goes a lot further and it's a lot harder to do. And I think really refining and continuing to invest in improving those skills are what takes a project manager from just being good and average to uh above average and really being somebody who others want to work with on projects.
3: One hundred percent agree with that. That's that's exactly what I would have said. <laughs> you
1: know, and it's 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 great. I, I love my show obviously and and the guests who come on. And what we get is a great cross section of the industry, right? We have Just on today's show, we have Kim, who has all of this experience. Echo, who has a a good jump start on worth of experience, and the audience members come across that spectrum as well. They may be new and they want to know, Echo, how did you get there? They may be five years beyond where Echo is today, but they're looking to get to where Kim is today. And is how can we reflect on your experiences, Kim? To say if somebody's now maybe fifteen years into their career in where, where do they go, right? What do they, how do they take it to that next step? How do they evolve into that senior role or that portfolio manager role or the program manager role?
2: I'm taking notes, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: I'll try. Um, well, I think the next steps that uh, drive the improvement and the movement of career paths in the um, forward motion is exactly what, um, echo has said is, developing those trust relationships within your organization, Um, that goes a long way uh, in order for, you know, you as a project manager to help your team achieve good results. And, you know, if I've got the ear of a C-level person because I've done projects for them in the past and they know that I'm not going to bother them with information that they don't need, but I will um, seek them out when I need their help, they'll pay attention. Whereas, you know, if you don't develop those relationships, they kind of don't pay attention. And so that's kind of critical, in my view, uh, to take those next steps is develop those people skills, celebrate successes. Uh, You know, not so much as far as bragging or achievements, but really just celebrating successes and mentoring other project management staff with items that you feel helped and worked. I think that's really driven my career path up from day one was I was always willing to sit down with someone and try to figure out if there was a better solution to what they were trying to accomplish or at least understand what they were, you know, trying to achieve.
1: So I think one of the things that I do is um, I think of sports analogies a lot, right? And within the sports world, I always hear conversations of how as people get more experience, the pace of the game slows down and they can see things differently. So in the project management space, the same thing happens for me, right? Everything slows down, and I don't sweat the small stuff. Whereas when I was early in my career, I would always think of, man, if I don't get that risk or issue cleared today, what's going to happen with my sponsor? They're going to become so upset with me. And as I gained more experience, I realized that risk or issue was just one part of the overall project. And the project success, the business success, was really what we were trying to achieve. So great insight from Kim in proving once again that we are a live radio show. I think we may have lost our connection to Kim, but we're gonna try to get that back and we'll just keep going with echo as we work on that.
2: Yeah, and I'd love to comment on points that you guys both made. You know, I I think I fall in that category. I tend to worry about some of that small stuff and I've received that same advice. You know, it's gonna be okay. You got things to do, you're gonna get it done don't stress. You don't want to pass that stress on to the people that you're working with. Another thing, as Kim mentioned, you know, mentoring and the importance of that. And that's played such a huge role in my journey as a project manager. I was fortunate enough to come by a mentor in one of my roles early on, somebody who kind of took me under their wing. And, you know, I learned so much about how she handled difficult conversations and how she communicated. And I only learned that from listening and watching her do those things. And it was so important for me because you read, you learn, and people tell you, you know, if you have to deliver bad news, here's how you do it. But for me, it was valuable watching somebody who perfected that talent, at least in my eyes, do that. And I was able to pick up Different tips along the way, and integrate that into how I had those discussions with clients. And so I definitely a hundred percent agree that you know mentorship is a huge part of being able to grow as a project manager.
1: Whenever anyone a guest mentions the mentoring, I like to take the commercial to talk about VPMMA, which is so important to me, and uh, my good friend Eric Wright, who were co-founders of VPMMA. The Veteran Project Management Mentoring Alliance. And we, for the past, I don't know, year and a half or so, we've had over 200 participants participate from across 30 different states in the US, five different countries. And the program has just gained such incredible success that we're now converting into a nonprofit organization. So we're, uh, our paperwork is filed, our board of directors is being established. We're bringing on people to help us grow and scale up the organization. The interest um, is is really taking off. So for all of those uh, who are interested in giving back, as Kim and Echo have just talked about, and mentoring, what better way to do that to uh, than to service members, veterans, and their spouses to help them transition into a career or accelerate their career in project management? If you go out to the PMO Squad website. Up on top menu, there's Veterans Mentoring. Just click on there and uh, learn more about the program. The VPMMA website is under construction, so that'll be up shortly, and everything will be going through there. So we appreciate all of the folks who have actually been guests on the show and supported us as we went through our proof of concept stage, and now we are, you know, a bona fide nonprofit helping veteran service members and their spouses. It's a great feeling. And uh, mentoring is such a huge component of how we can help those people out. So thank you, Echo, for mentioning that. And Kim, of course, for your participation in our program.
2: So wonderful you Great. guys
1: are doing that. Thank you. A- and Kim, we, we had lost you there for a moment, so it's glad to have you back. But uh, that's yeah. that's the, uh, the joys and fun of doing a live show, right? This isn't a podcast that we're recording and playing a perfect back to everybody. We, we we uh swing and miss every once in a while on a live show so glad to have you back with us well thank you um so echo one thing that kind of intrigued me as we've gotten to know each other a little bit is you you know you've got this nice career going you're building up a resume within the the project management industry but then you go off and create your own organization as well your pm sidekick tell me a little bit about that and and how that started and
2: what you're doing with that yeah, so uh, your PM sidekick, it started a while ago, uh, about two years ago. My business partner and I, we had worked together in previous roles as project manager, and he was working as a business analyst, and we just enjoyed working together, and we realized that the two of us always wanted to do something of our own and it just seemed like the right thing to do. And so we initially started by providing project management services to software companies who didn't really have project management staff to be able to be the liaison between the company and the client. So that was our main focus. But more recently, our focus has been more along the lines of helping ambitious business professionals, specifically in technical fields, prepare for the PMP exam. And, you know, my journey was uh, long and wasn't the easiest. And, you know, when my business partner decided to start his journey, we realized that we really got joy out of the material and really following his journey and making it a lot easier. So, I started doing a lot of research on the market and found that there were a lot of gaps in what other providers offer and there were through conversations with I guess a lot of the aspiring project managers I realized that there needed to be somebody to fill those gaps to make the journey easier for those people that are studying because that's a huge career move for a lot of people and so what Your PM Sidekick does is we build resources and tools and provide a lot of great content to fill some of those gaps that other providers leave on the market. So there's a lot of, like you mentioned, proof of concept that's been going on and finally got some uh, great feedback from some of the people that we've been doing some beta testing with. So we're really working on some different courses and material to share with some of those uh, project managers who are looking to get the PMP that they can use alongside of some of the other wonderful resources that are out there.
1: And I think if I'm remembering right on uh, social media recently, there was an article that you had shared uh, about the PMP and your own personal experience.
2: Yes. I uh, work with um, Arena from the project management column And she had asked me to write a couple articles um, over the last few months. And one of the most recent articles I wrote was about my journey. So studying for the exam and really what it did for me as an employee and what it did for me working as a contractor, um, what the financial outcomes were from that. I shared some real numbers from a point in time in the past that I had received a good return on my investment. I shared some of the resources that I had used um, and what the initial investment was for me up front to uh, begin that journey. And I got a lot of really great feedback and responses of folks that were really motivated to hear that they're not alone in that journey and that somebody else has experienced that journey, but also it was a really good motivator, which I think a lot of people needed to see what the outcome can be and work towards it.
1: You know, and within the industry, right, there's a lot of, talk. I always get to ask this question, hey, Joe, would you hire somebody who doesn't have a PMP? Kim, what's your thoughts on that, right? From your experience running PMOs and working with clients, how important is it to have a PMP exam, uh, or a certification for a resource within the PMO?
3: Well, in our PMO, it is required. Um, although we do hire folks that don't have uh, a PMP certification, they have to be willing to. Take the steps to get it within one year of hire date. So, in the organization I'm in right now, um, it it is a requirement. In in many PM PM offices, I don't see that as a hard, fast requirement, but um, I feel like it helps. Um, But you know, we've got some uh, new uh, staff on our PMO right now that are um, just coming out of school and don't have their PMP certification, probably much like uh, Echo was when she first started eight years ago. So. Um, you know, as much as we can do to help those folks get into the program and get certified, I think is a very strong and worthwhile effort. Um, The program, I think I was actually a project manager before there was really structure around PMI. And so I took my certification actually in, I think it was 2006, if I remember right. Um, So uh, so I was actually a project manager for many years before I ever um, started official training around project management with the PMI Institute. And um, there were things that I struggled with in the beginning that really took on a life of having to learn how to do certain things that made a lot more sense once I got through, you know, the certification process. Um, So I highly advise that um, PMOs do uh, structure their hiring standards around including a PMP certification whenever possible.
2: I think it makes just for good tools in your toolbox you know you may need a lot of what you learn and maybe there's some things that your organization doesn't necessarily practice but to be able to pull on that experience I think is really helpful to have as a project manager and Absolutely. I've worked with a lot of project managers that weren't certified but I looked up to them in the way that they handled a lot of different situations on their projects um, but I do think that there is value in getting it, and for me personally, I've seen that over the past few years since becoming certified. So I'm always a huge advocate of it.
1: Yeah, and I find right—it's just like the if you pass the bar exam, doesn't mean you're going to be a good attorney. If you pass the CPA exam, doesn't mean you're going to be a good accountant. Uh, having the PMP doesn't ensure that you're going to be a good project manager, but it does say that you understand. Um, The culture of project management and the terminology, at least as defined by PMI, because there's certainly other organizations out there that are competitors to PMI. Uh, But the core of what we all do as a profession is really all the same, and and I think that's the importance of the PMP. You know, but heck, I'd take somebody with 34 years' experience like Kim, who wasn't certified (laughs) any day, over somebody who has just a piece of paper saying they were certified.
2: It's invaluable.
1: So Kim. you know, kind of going along those lines of, you know, earlier we had talked about the, the PMOs that are failing. If a customer were to approach you and say, hey, I think my PMO is failing, what, how do you help them, right? What, how do you get them on the road to success?
3: Well, I usually start with a deep dive and a couple of postmortems on projects that they felt were real failures. Um, I hear a common theme like my projects don't complete on time or they're really hard to schedule. Um, Or my projects are way too expensive. So those types of things are simple things that you can uh, address in your key performance indicators. So in our world, I set um, a standard artifact as a milestone timeline. And it basically is a start and an end date for each phase within your project, however you phase out your projects. We use planning and analysis, execute. There's a lot of common terms out there. But setting those uh, milestone dates and working with the team to really come up with the schedule that makes sense—not just throwing some dates on a calendar and, and hoping it sticks. You know, really sitting down with the teams and saying this is the body of work we have to do. How long do you think it's going to take us to do? It's kind of the first step, and then I'll develop those KPIs with the leadership within the PMO to really drive the performance indicators so that. When folks meet those milestones, yes, I completed planning and analysis on time, or even like sometimes we'll use a, a wider scale, like within seven days of the date I had given, um, then they'll get credit for um, achieving that milestone, and then we simply count them. Um, you know, so we we usually uh, in my world we have a once a month uh, team meeting and we celebrate those those achievements. Um, you know, that's that's my idea of. How a project management office can really um, help their PMs to understand you know, what items they're looking for. Another one is budget. I, I wrote about these in an article I wrote on LinkedIn, I think it was called um, Add Value or Die. <laughs> um, but um, you know, th- there's a number of different uh, indicators that you can set as your as your project goals as a whole. Like I want every project to achieve within seven days, closing out that stage gate and moving on to the next uh, stage of the project. And then that sort of thing really helps to drive improvement on your scheduling, um, avoiding collisions with go lives, you know, things that that really impact a PMO negatively. So those are things I work with the leadership team to come up with.
2: And do you find that people are receptive to an outside consultant coming in and really... Taking a look at things, I know sometimes people can be a little sensitive or adverse to change when that kind of thing happens.
3: Well, I haven't experienced that. Usually, when I come in, and I, I try to uh, think in terms of how would I feel if so subject matter expert on project management was coming in to take a look at my organization. So, I think I hopefully tried to alleviate some people's fears respective to that, but. Um, I have experienced that most of the time a PMO director who's helping or seeking help for a a project management office that's struggling or having difficulties meeting some goals are usually very receptive to it being a consultant because they don't like to be the bad guy and have to tell the team when things aren't working now. Um, So they, they oftentimes would happily push that off onto a consultant to do um, in one way or another. I think a, a great Steve Jobs quote was that you can't make everybody happy if you if you want to be a leader. If you want to be make everybody happy, you better sell ice cream because that's about all you can do to make everybody happy. I,
1: I'd go for some ice cream. <laughs>
2: you, <do. laughs>
1: you know, I, it, one of the things you, you mentioned KPIs a lot, Kim, and of course there's project KPIs and PMO KPIs. So are, are you referring to project or PMO or both? And can you share a little bit about the, the different KPIs you'd have within the PMO ops, uh, the PM ops structure?
3: Yes, and it is both. It's actually looking at it on a project delivery aspect, <coughs> excuse me, and also in terms of the PMO delivery in general. And that's really important because what what the this. Stepping stones of, you know, the decomposition between project delivery and project execution really drives the whole PMO success. Um, so if you don't have the proper uh, performance indicators at the project level, it makes it hard for you to assess where you are at the PMO level. But when you start to use the right uh, tools to, and, you know, assess where you are and how your delivery is moving. Um, then you can really start to see improvement on, I can lay out my whole schedule for this fiscal year, all of my projects, and I can understand where my challenges are with resources based on how they, uh, you know, butt up against each other. Um, so the the driving of, you know, accurate estimates and, and teams working together, that's really something that you see happen when you use PM apps is you know, they used to sit in a room and come up with dates. Well, I think I can have it done in two weeks. Well, I think I can, you know, have that done in a month. And that's how they built the schedule. But now when we're looking back and going, well, you know, what are the key things that didn't happen for us that, that caused us not to meet the date? They really sit down and start to think about those estimates and they become much more accurate. Um, you know, and it doesn't take much uh, to to give up a, a couple of 10 dollar gift certificates to Starbucks or Chick-fil-A or you know whatever drives the performance you know in the improvement sector but what happens is they actually become competitive and they start to say you know I don't know if you can complete that in 3 weeks are you sure I I don't want to miss our goal and that's where the the change in the in the thinking comes you know in, in the you know it's not just about going through the motions it's really about um, making it better and, and hitting the goals. And, and that becomes the drive.
1: You know, you had, you had said the title of your article was add value or die.
0: Right.
1: And I love that. And it makes me think of Dr. Kersner was a guest on our show, uh, several months back and we had asked him how he defined project success. And he said that has changed over time, right? And the modern definition though, is, did you create business value? And uh, that just aligns perfectly with what you just shared, right? If we're not having success and providing value, then are we really doing what we're supposed to be doing, whether it's the PMO or the project? Yeah. Echo, you know, you've shared a little bit about your career and, and where you are now and a little bit about your PM sidekick. Do you have any other initiatives going on? I mean, you've got a full plate, right? I mean, what else are you working on?
2: I do. I, you know, I have a contract with a company that I'm offering some project management services to. Got my own uh, company that I'm working on. And then, of course, we have our secret initiative that we're fleshing out. And uh, I also work with Scott, one of the sponsors. We've been working on uh, some weekly coaching Project management, so we've collaborated and been able to share perspectives to help a group of people. So there's a lot of different initiatives and partnerships underway, really just trying to give back and grow as leaders within the industry.
1: Well, I find that so popular and common within project management, right? As we are a very tight industry and mm-hmm. wanting to branch out and assist each other, because I think uh, the more we go back to mentoring, right, the more we can communicate and mentor each other, the more successful that we all become and therefore the more value we provide to our clients and our organizations. Absolutely. So walk me through a little bit of, and you've done a little bit of this, but try to dig in detail and think about the listener out there who's maybe thinking of a career in project management of your career progression. And how do you go, uh, you know, after college and you're sitting there and you now I want to be a project manager and you've taken on some different roles before you became a PM. What does it look like once you were a PM? Now you have eight years experience. Now you're an experienced PM. What does that part of the journey look like?
2: Uh, you know, that's, good. that's a really good question. Um, for me, I wanted to perfect my skills. So, you know, initially getting that job with the actual project management title, Uh, you know, it was great. And I started to have to, even though I had transferable skills, I had to start to apply some of that information that I had learned. And there were a lot of learning curves. I was fortunate enough to be working with the organization that challenged me all the time. And I volunteered to take on a lot of work that nobody else wanted to do because I knew That if I put myself in situations where I'd feel uncomfortable, that it would challenge me to work through those and I'd come out the other end just better at what I do. And so for me, that was something that I really did. And I was fortunate enough to get promoted within the organizations really by doing that. And I didn't do it necessarily to get a promotion, although that was a great side effect of it. But I just wanted to be better prepared for situations when I was faced with them. And I'll give a great example that I always give. And it was when I was working on a big project for an organization, and we had some involvement already, but I was meeting with a new stakeholder. We talked about the agenda. They were doing a go live that day for part of the project, and we were kicking off another part of the project. So I was on site to make sure everything went smoothly. I walk in and I go to shake the stakeholder's hand, and she says to me, I don't know why you conduct business this way. Your PowerPoint is pointless. You'd think that my jaw would drop to the floor and I would just want to walk out of the room. And I think a part of me did. But because I had set the stage in some of the experience and taking on some of the work with more challenging stakeholders throughout my career, I felt like I was so well-prepared to handle that situation. And to give myself a little bit of a pat on the back right now, at the end of that, she was so pleased with my team that she sent an email to the CEO saying, I'm happy with their work. And to me, that was a huge accomplishment because had I not been prepared, I think I would have handled that situation a little bit differently. And it was good for me and made me feel good to know that all those struggles that I put in my own way to a point um, were worthwhile in that moment.
1: Yeah, and Kim, I'm, I'm imagining you've had a few uh troublesome stakeholders along the way. And uh, also reminds me of Dana Brownlee, who was a guest on our show, who has a book out there called Managing Up, and how she's categorized um, different stakeholders into different buckets and helps, you know, if you get Dana's book, it's a fantastic read. You'll be able to see how to be able to uh, manage up and work with those difficult stakeholders. But Kim, any uh, war stories you have from along the way with those challenging stakeholders and sponsors that you may have dealt with. And then the lesson learned out of that, right, is the more important part. How do we, as Echo did, get a victory out of a difficult situation?
3: Right. Listen to what's missing. Yeah, I have had my share of difficult stakeholders. I can guarantee that. But I really try to listen to what they have to say. And, you know, that might have not been the best delivery method to say, you know, your, point, your, your PowerPoint is pointless, but I don't think I would have, you know, presented it quite that way. But I have had stakeholders do that to me as well. And yeah, it, it is your response to be professional and, you know, take the criticism with as much grain of salt as possible and understand that most of the time they're going through a lot of stressful things too. You know, projects are stressful times. They're change that people have to deal with. And they're also complicated in many cases. And so, you know, when you're bringing in a professional project manager, chances are pretty good. There's a lot at stake related to that project, and so therefore that stakeholder is carrying a lot of that pressure on their back. Um, so my best advice is to listen intently, act professionally, even if they don't, because I always have a firm belief that you should make people think about their behavior, not your own, and uh, and just try to work with them as much as possible. And it's been very successful for me. I have a lot of really great relationships in our um, organization at the C level suite. Um, and that's how you get there is, you know, recognizing that people have different personalities and, you know, sometimes that's, uh, you know, a response to stress.
1: Yeah. And I found that as I gained experience from my career, I stopped talking about the project and started talking about the business Mm -hmm. because it was the focus of a leader. Isn't really on your project. It's about the results you're trying to get to, so when we talk issues, risk, schedule, budget to them, a lot of times they get lost in the morass of what the project is. And if you bring it back up and talk about how we're going to work on the objectives we're trying to achieve and what we may need to do to overcome some of the objectives that way, usually the stakeholder is more receptive to that because they were talking their language as opposed to talking our language.
3: Right. Right. Agree. Definitely.
1: So another item, Kim, I'm curious to get your perspective on, right, is PMOs, as you mentioned, right, there's maybe a two to three year life cycle, unfortunately, out there, but we're working to improve that, right, is Mm -hmm. staff retention, right? I mean, project management seems like it's got such a high turnover rate. What are your, what's been your experience on how do we handle that?
3: Well, that's one of the reasons why I started to develop PMOPS, because of turnover rate, because it's a stressful job. You know, people don't recognize the amount of things that you're trying to organize at one time. I I just recently got through a a pretty significant go-live where I had to be on site for um, almost 10 days away. Um, And, you know, there's a lot that project managers have to, you know, deal with on a regular scale. So, uh, you know, a lot of people can't handle that level of stress, I find. But one of the things that the PM ops program that I've put together does is it really kind of gives them the alternate side of, you know, not everything is, is a failure, a risk, or an issue. <laughs> so, you know, that, that does, you know, get a little bit better, I think, uh, camaraderie among the team, which then lessens the turnover rate. Um, but when you're seeing project managers struggle because they don't have a clear scope or the stakeholder hasn't communicated the right information to them you're going to see a high turnover in a PMO. And just developing those, the ability for the leader of the PMO to be able to recognize that, you know, maybe it's a good project manager, but they're just not getting the information that they need before a change happens that's probably not in the best interest of the organization. So, yeah, I mean, I see it in the field and I see struggling PMOs really um, have a high turnover rate. Sometimes I feel like they they have expressed to me that they've replaced almost their entire project management team over the course of a year or two, um, and so that's really changing the demographic of a PMO structure to begin with. If you have to, you know, reinitiate, reonboard another, you know, seven or eight PMs every every year or every other year, you're going to struggle with being able to keep things in in sync. So, so really having that organizational skill and developing that um, the the self. Uh, appreciation of what I do. Somebody is listening, somebody understands what I'm going through, and uh, when I do have successes, they recognize it. I think those are things you can do to combat that.
1: And I guess Echo, taking a similar topic, but kind of a different perspective, is what advice do you have folks who want to come into this field? Right, We just heard Kim talk about the stresses and pressures of being in the industry and and uh, how to overcome those and be successful within a PMO. But you're closer to the beginning than you are to the end. So what advice would you give someone who wants to enter this profession?
2: I would say that it's important to make sure that you don't just seek a job with a title. And I know I keep saying that, and it's because I hear from some of the people that I I've come in contact with and who I've interviewed and things like that for my business that everybody says, I just want a job with the title. I just want a job with the title. Well, my first job didn't have that title. I was an operations analyst, but I managed small initiatives that were projects. Even though I was in operations, I had to talk with stakeholders on a regular basis and help them get to point from point A to point B before they got into the operational Workflow, and for me, that those skills that I learned helped me in the interview to get the title. And so, don't let the title be the reason that, or don't don't wait for it. I guess I'm saying, look at the job descriptions. If it looks like skills that align with a project manager and it's something that you'd be interested in, don't let the title stop you. Go for it because you can gain a lot of transferable skills that. Are going to relate to a project manager role, anyways. Um, another thing I would say is if you have a mentor, that's super helpful. Again, for me, it really helped me. I think be a better project manager and really grow my skill set. And don't be afraid to take on challenging work. So if you do get in a role, whether you're a project manager or not, I think those are important things that will help you grow. And if you grow, you're going to get a step closer to becoming a project manager and uh, having having a more well-rounded skill set.
1: And when I used to run PMOs during the interview process, sometimes the interviewee would ask me, so what are you looking for? And I would always say I'm looking for the person who's willing to run into the burning building. Because as as project managers, we're we're always at risk. You're always in a high risk, uh, high reward situation. And if you're afraid of that, you're probably not the right career for for what you or who you are.
2: Absolutely. And I think it helps if you know yourself and what you like to do. And for me, that was a little bit easier for me. I think for a lot of other people, it sounds like a glamorous job, but it's not. (laughs)
1: And Kim, what are your thoughts on on that, right? So you talked about how PMO is uh can handle the retention, but what if you're just starting, right? You're, you know, somebody listening maybe a couple of years in and you're not sure if this is for you, right? What is you've heard Echo's thoughts on it, but you know, maybe there's a different perspective with a few more years of experience.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would say that does help um the number of years that you've been doing it. And you know, Echo's got eight in, so she's got a pretty good base too. Um, But, you know, in the one, two year, um, you know, newly uh, project management management, uh, role, those are challenges that you're really going to have to face to see if you have the tenacity to make it because you have to be an influencer. That's it. It's not necessarily that you have to be a leader. Leadership is important, but you have to be an influencer. And if you can't get folks, um, if you can't influence them into doing what needs to happen, and chances are pretty good you're not going to be successful in that career. So, yeah, so it, it just, you just need to concentrate on your, like uh, Echo said earlier, your people skills side, and then make sure that the organizational set is in place as well. Um, I think if you can concentrate on those two things early on, you're going to learn what you need to, to in order to make a good, successful career in project management.
1: Well, Kim and Echo, thanks so much for being on the show today. We're actually approaching the the hour mark. Thanks for the listeners for dealing with some technical difficulties along the way today. But, hey, that's what makes the show fun, right? Um, And then so we want to give Kim a chance here to say uh, how folks can get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing. What's the best way for folks to know that? And what else do you have going on, Kim? Anything? Last comments for the audience.
3: Yeah, I, you can find me on LinkedIn. Kim Curtis is my name, C-U-R-T-I-S, and I do a lot of posting there usually early in the morning because I get up at 4 a.m. ready for my day, and I usually start with LinkedIn. Um, there's about seven or eight articles that I've written out there. Um, you can reach me at uh, team at gmail.com, um, and I do on-site assessments. I help team building sessions. I I do a lot with uh, helping outside organizations uh, improve their uh, PMO framework and delivery, and and hopefully it helps. I, I've heard a lot of good uh, feedback after the fact, and so I think that the direction that I'm taking and moving towards with the development of this framework is really helping some organizations get a better d- uh, results.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us uh, and Echo. <laughs> uh, your opportunity here as well how can folks get in touch with you what else do you have going on any last thoughts to share with the audience
2: yes um, i'm also on linkedin very active on there so you can find me under echo wolf w-o-o-l-f and you can also uh, connect with me through my website yourpmsidekick.com you're spelled out and i am very responsive to anybody who connects with me on there as well
1: thank you so much for being on today Uh, Next Thursday, which would be the first Thursday, our standard uh, show date is July 4th, so we will not be on July 4th, but we'll be back July 11th, and then we'll be back on schedule on the 18th to be the first and third Thursday each month. We have a great lineup of guests coming up from around the globe, uh, including Roger Haskett from Canada, Nicholas Breeson from Germany, Colin Ellis from Australia, Andy Jordan from Honduras, Carol Osterweil from England. Uh, PM, Project Management Office Hours, is global. We're trying to get the message out to everybody in our industry to know that it's not just an American profession, right? This is across the globe. So thank you for those who listen. And a reminder, the shows are also recorded, so be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, whatever your podcast platform of choice is. Of course, thank you to our sponsors, PM Master Prep and the PMO Squad. Visit pmmasterprep.com, use promo code Joe, and get an amazing 20% off value on everything they offer. Also visit the pmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all of their project management services. So that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time. I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours.